Good morning in New York. Good afternoon in Eretz Israel. We're broadcasting from the Breslev New Hempstead Shul, Baruch Hashem. I had the privilege of being here for Shabbos, Baruch Hashem, today. We're continuing the Shir in Chaim Aran. We're up to paragraph Nuntes 59 in Sichos HaShayochim Latoyres. And we dedicate the learning today, Le'ilu Nishmas Sora Bas Reb Shmuel, whose yard site is on the 14th of Shvat, and also Le'ilu Nishmas Rabbi Aryeh Kaplan Zichron Avrocho, Rabbi Aryeh Moshe Elio Ben Shmuel. Those that know the name, this is a person who was a giant, a giant in Claudius Royal, a giant in Torah, a giant, the, the NCSY organization, which was one of the earliest major outreach organizations to youth in the United States. And they needed somebody who could write books in English, presenting the mitzvahs in a way that people who come from non-religious secular homes would be able to relate to it and, and, and want to perform the mitzvahs. And he wrote a number of books on tefillin, other topics, fantastic. In addition, he was to, to broad knowledge in Kabbalah. He wrote a commentary on the Sefer Yitzira, the one of the earliest Sifrei Kabbalah that was that was from Avraham Avinu, and and he joined together with my Rebbe Rav, Rav Rosenfeld to translate. <clears throat> to do the first English translation of one of Rabbeinazal's form, Rabbi Nachman's form, the Shvoche Oran Oran, Rabbi Nachman's wisdom. He passed away at a very young age, I believe it was 46, and is buried on Harazesim. He also played a very important role when the Russians decided to build apartment buildings right where Rabbeinazal's kever, Rabbi Nachman's kever is, and we needed somebody to prepare a proposal, a presentation for the president of the United States to be able to convince him to be willing to ask the Russians not to destroy the site. Rav Ka Rabbi Arya Kaplan was the one who prepared exactly what was needed. <clears throat> we took it back to Rabbi Taitz. He looked it over. He said, this is exactly what's needed. And Baruch Hashem, it was Matzliach. It was Matzliach. S'chusa Yogan we dedicate the learning today for a complete refuah shalema for all those that need it, including Chaviva Chana Basgalia, Atora Esther Basgalia, <clears throat> and her newborn baby boy, Simcha Bat Sora, Sora Basodl, Toiva Bas Chavapero, and Eliezer David Ben Toiva, <clears throat> Michal Sora Bas Hadasa, Edith Bas Miriam Brindel. Yaakov Yeshua ben Feindel Rechel, Shlom Anissim ben Mazlav, Ram David ben Chana, Git Genendel bas Sipoira, Michal Esther bas Ruhia, Tuv Yitzvi ben Chayaliza, David ben Behia, Shendel bas Leia, Yehudis Ruchoma bas Chavarus, Yisbehendel bas Gitleia, Vilano bas Bendel, Sarochel bas Yisbehendel, Chaim Aryeh ben Brocha, Chaim ben Rachel, B'Soich Shar Chov Yisrael. We're up to paragraph 59, where Rabbi Nezal simply lists about 50 chapters on the Kutimran and gives us the dates when they were said, which ones were said on Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Shabbat Shira, 
<clears throat> all the other times. We're not going to go through this whole list. You can check it easily in Chaim Aran. We're going to continue from paragraph 60. Where now Rav Nosenzal goes into telling us the background of the stories, some of the stories in Sipurim Isis, when they were said and what was going on at the time. <clears throat> the first one that's presented is the story of the Berger of Oni. Berger means a, a major businessman and an Oni. This is one of the complex, complex stories in Sipurim Isis. And in the story, Rabbein Azal mentions that the Oni at one point becomes a, a, an emperor and he's given a ksav in gold, in gold lettering. And what happened was, Rav Nosenzal says, there were people speaking to Rav Enazal, and they mentioned to him something about gold lettering. <clears throat> and Rav Enazal said, oh, really? There was a story like this? And that was how he introduced that whole incredible, deep story in Sipurim Isis. Rav Nosenzal points out, this was after Purim, of Tovkuf Samartes, which means about a year and a half before Rabbein Azal passed away. And shortly before that Purim is when Rabbein Azal told the story of the Chacham and the Tam. Interestingly, <clears throat> the story of the Chacham and the Tam, in English it's translated as the sophisticate and the simpleton. And Rabbein Azal has a chapter in the Imran, in the second half of the Imran, Tori Yutes, where Rabbein Azal speaks about Chachmas, and Rabbein Azal speaks about Amalek, that that was one of the major issues in Amalek being so powerful an adversary to Kalal Yisrael. The Gemara says that Amalek, the Amalekim knew how to be able to change themselves into animals. When they came to do battle against, against the Kalal Yisrael, when the Yidim went out of Mitzrayim, this week's parsha we read B'Shalach, the, the end of B'Shalach, Vayovoy Amalek, Vayelochamim Yisrael Berefidim, <coughs> that one of the challenges, and, and Moshe Rabbeinu says to Yeshua, one of the challenges was that the Amalekim knew how to make themselves, change themselves into animals. So if the Yidin would be mispalel, Hashem save us from these people, they weren't people. And that was why when Hashem gave Shol HaMelech instructions to kill men, women, children, and animals, the person would ask, what do the animals do? The answer is that the animals were actually the Amalekim who knew magic and knew to be able to make themselves into animals as a way of protecting themselves. And in that chapter in Likud Imran, Rabbein Azal defines the sophisticate as Amalek. Then paragraph Samachalif, Rav Nosenzal writes that on Moitzoi Shabbos of Parshas Noyach, of the last year of Rabbein Azal's life, Tovkuf Ayin, <coughs> because Rabbein Azal passed away on Chalamoid Sukkot before the next Parsha Snoyach. That was when on that shop on Friday night, Rabbein Azal had given the Shir Torah Samach Zayin in the second half of Likut Imran, where he speaks about a Hespid for a Tzaddik. That's the whole story related to Rabbein Yitzhak Bradichezal, that he had passed away, and in Breslov, nobody knew about it at the time yet. There was no radio or communications like we have today. And Rabbein Azal gave a whole shear that Friday night about a hesped for a tzaddik, how, how Bereshis, <coughs> how, how Noyach, Parshas Noyach, which begins, Eile toildois Noyach, Noyach ish tzaddik, like you would say at a eulogy, that these are the children that remain from this person who passed away. 
And Rav Nosson Zal writes that on Moitzoi Shabbos, we went, we went in to, to speak to, speak to Rav Nosson and he motioned to us to leave, which was unusual because we always, usually after Shabbos was over, we would go in to speak to him. And we felt we, we were troubled by this. So we went to visit Rabbi Aaron, Rabbi Aaron Zal, the Rav of the city of Breslov. And then several hours later, Rabbi Nezal sent his, his attendant to call us. And we went in to see him, Rabbi Naftali Zal and I. And Rabbi Nezal said, what's new? As he always did, Rabbi Nezal says that always Rabbi Nezal wanted to hear what's new. Because in hearing the news that was going on in the world, he was able to know what he needed to know. And Rav Naftali Zal mentioned him that they were talking then about the Napoleonic Wars, how this Napoleon who was the head of France, how he started off as a slave, a servant, and he became Mamish, the, the head of, of this whole country of France. So we spoke to him about that. And Rav Nezal said, who knows what kind of a neshama he has? Now, the term neshama here is being used a little bit loosely because a goy doesn't have a neshama, a goy has a nefesh. But it means who knows what kind of soul he has because Rabbein Azal said it's possible that his soul got switched in the Heichli Hatmurais. The Sifrei Kabbalah speak about a, a chamber of exchanged souls in Shamayim where sometimes a person starts off with a certain neshama or nefesh and they go to sleep at night, they get up in the morning and they find they have a different nefesh. This is why the Sifre Kabbal explains sometimes you have a person who wasn't religious their whole life and one day they wake up and suddenly they're inspired and major change in their life. And sometimes chas v'shalom, it's the opposite. A person goes to sleep at night as an ordinary from person, religious person, and the next day suddenly they're, they're off course and you wonder what happened, what happened? And the answer is that there could be a change that takes place, chas v'shalom. This is why we make a brach every morning, hamachsir neshamois livgore mesim, that we ask that Hashem should return to us the same soul as we had yesterday or a better one, that it shouldn't be chas v'shalom, the this kind of switch that takes place, that chas v'shalom can take a person off course. And from that, Rabbein Azal said there was once a story like this, that there was a queen and her maidservant that gave birth at the same time. And then the maid decided to switch, switch the babies. And he told this incredible, incredible story, the 11th story in Sipurim Isis, which is pages and pages of all elaborate story. But again, it needed an Isarusa de Lissata to get it started. It was always that someone said something and then from that, Rav Nezal keyed on that and went into a whole story. Now, Rav Nezal says that in that story, at one point, it mentions that the, the true prince was at, in an inn, and he left the inn, and he left all of his money there. He left all of his things there. And Rav Nezal and Rav Nezal, who both heard the story from Rav Nezal, they got into an argument over did he leave the money there to pay his bill for the time that he had spent there, or did he just leave it there, Stam? And they decided to ask Rabbein Azal, which is it? And Rabbein Azal responded that it was not to pay any bill, he just decided to leave his possessions there. And afterwards, 
Rabbeinazal, one Rab Nosanzal writes, one of the Choshava students of Rabbeinazal was by him. And Rabbeinazal said that in these stories, if you change one detail, any detail, even if it looks to you like it's insignificant, what you know, the, that, that that probably has nothing to do with the, the theme of the story. It's not the case at all. He said it could affect, it could change the, the meaning of the story completely. And he gave an example. He said, these two had a debate about this item. Both agreed that he left the money there. It was just a question that he'd leave the money to pay a bill or not. And Rabbi Nezal said that in this detail is totally incredible, important, important things. Rabbi Nezal says, based on this, you can get an idea <clears throat> how far-reaching, how deep these stories are. Ashray to the person who is able to understand a little bit on our level of the depth of these stories. Any questions? Now the 12th story in Sipurim Isis, which is one of the longest, the story of the Baltfila, the master of prayer. Rav Nosanzal says that that story was initiated, that the chazan of the city of Breslov, his name was Rabbi Yosef, he was standing in front of Rabbi Nezal, and Rabbi Nezal saw that his coat was torn. And Rabbi Nezal said to him, I don't understand. You're about Fila, and all Shefa, all the Shefa has to come from you. Why don't you have a normal, a good coat that, that's not torn like this? And then Rabbi Nezal said, there was once a story like this. There was once a Baltfila, and he led into this whole incredible, incredible, deep, elaborate story of the, the master of prayer. And Rabbi Nezal says, when he started telling this story, he said it like in such a casual way, we didn't know that he was going into one of these deep stories. And it was only as he continued that we, we realized that this is one of those fantastic 13 stories that appear in Sipurim Isis. Paragraph Samach Gimel, now related to the final story in Sipurim Isis, which is called the Seven Betlers. Rav Nosanzal says it begins in most of the books that are printed. You'll see it begins. <clears throat> Rav Nosanzal introduced the story by saying, I'm going to tell you how they once made merry, how they once were happy. But Rav Nosanzal says that's not exactly what he said at the time. I heard that he said, Rav Nosanzal started off by saying, what do you know about how to become happy from a state of depression, how to change from being depressed to go into simcha. I'm going to tell you now how they once were happy. And that's how he introduced this story of the seven betlers. And, and when he completed this story, he said that these stories are chidushim niflo, and they're incredible deep, deep things. And, and a person shouldn't be, these stories should be said as public drushes, like a, a drusha in front of a tzibur of very learned people, because they, they contain very, very high level chidushin. Now, Reb Nachman Shirin writes, he's the one who organized the Chaimaran. He writes, I heard from Reb Naftalizal that after Reb completed the story of the seven betlers, he praised it tremendously. And he said that it's okay to travel to Brod, 
the city of Brod at that time in Ukraine was one of the cities that was known for the leading Rabbonim, super Talmidei Chachamim, that it, it's, it would be perfectly okay to travel to Brod and to tell the Shamas of the Shul to give a bang on the table that somebody wants to give a drosha to these Rabbonim and, and to tell them the story, this story, the seven betlers. It's interesting to note Rabbi Avram Sternhardt, who was a great-grandson of Rabbi Nosenzal, he, was, he lived in, in Ukraine, in Breslov, in Uman, and the Rov of the city of Lublin had passed away. And Lublin was known to be one of the greatest Torah centers in Poland at the time. And they were looking for a new Rav, and there were people going for, to try out for the position. And he went, Rabbi Avram Sternhardt went to try out, and they had a whole committee of Rabbonim, maybe 20, 30 Rabbonim that were present at the time. And the person who wanted to try for the position would get up and deliver a drosha, you know, to these Rabbonim. Rabbi Avram Sternhardt came there <clears throat> and he picked chapter 64 in Likutim Ram, Torah Samach Dalid, where Rabbi Nezal goes into explaining what took place at creation. The whole concept of the original Cholal Aponui, how Hashem... And, and it's, it's a long, elaborate Torah. And Rabbi Avram Sternhardt gave a shir to these Rabbonim on that Torah, connecting it in addition, in addition to what's there, to all kinds of Gemaras, all, all over the whole Torah. And when he finished, they were very, very impressed. <clears throat> and they were ready to appoint him to be the Rav of Lublin. His grandfather, Reb Nachman Chirin, who was also his, his Rebbe, the one who raised him, because his father had passed away when he was young. His grandfather told him, this is very nice. It's a tremendous covet for Breslov, that a Breslov, a Chosid, <clears throat> would be the one chosen to be the Rav of the city of Lublin. That's like the chief rabbi of Poland. It, not just, not, not chief rabbi, but we're talking about real chief rabbi. But he said, your mission is, your, your mission is to serve the Breslava Hasidim with Torah and Tefillah. And sure enough, he walked away from the position happily and, and actually fulfilled this in the highest level, giving Shurim all the time in Uman, in Eretz Yisrael. He arrived in Eretz Yisrael when he was 73 years old. And there was accepted by the top Rabbonim in Breslav as their Rebbe, the one who was teaching them, Reb Shmuel Shapiro, Reb Moshe Burstein, Reb Gedali Kenig, Giants, giants in Torah, <clears throat> Reb Shlom of Exler, who was the one who spoke before Rabbi Avram Shtenarats came. As soon as Rabbi Avram Shtenarats arrived, he said, I'm finished. We have, so we have somebody now to speak. Now, Rabbi Nosenzal says, related, related to something that appears in Sichoi Saran, in Rabbi Nachman's Wisdom, paragraph 151, where, again, there it speaks about how Rabbi Nosenzal spoke highly about these stories. So Rav Nazal says that on Sunday, after midday, we were standing with Rav Nazal, and he mentioned a vertel. He mentioned so, some kind of a, a thing about one of the groups that's mentioned in the story of the seven betlers. And then there was talk about having broad shoulders, a person having broad shoulders to be able to take upon themselves, you know, big things. And from that, about the broad shoulders, Rabbi Nezal said, where are we up to in our story? Where are we up to? In the... And Rabbi Nezal went into the fifth day of the seven betlers, 
where there he speaks about, again, a tzaddik who seemed to be hunchbacked, you know, but in, in, in actuality had these broad shoulders that he could carry the whole world on him. The next paragraph, Samachay, Rav Nosan Zal says, I heard from one of Rav Nosan students who heard from Rav Nosan this story. It's not one of the 13 major stories in Sipur Emaisius. It's one of the shortest stories that appears afterwards, a story about a tzaddik, a great tzaddik, who fell into a deep, deep depression. And he was able to get himself out of it <clears throat> by remembering Hashem's infinite kindness in the fact that I'm zeicher to be a Jew, that I was born, I was created a Jew. Shaloy goy. And Rav Nosan Zal writes that, that the story as, as it appears at the end of Sipuri Maisis is written the way I heard it from Rabbi Nazal. This person told me that he heard a slightly different variation of this story where Rabbi Nezal said that there was a great tzaddik who was one of those tzaddikim who was mimore de chushbana. The Zohar HaKadosh uses this term, people who are careful every single night before they go to sleep to audit themselves, to do a major accounting, to review everything they did that day and to see the good things, the things that aren't so good, to see what I need to apologize to Hashem. Maybe I wronged a human being and I have to, I have to correct the situation there. And one, one day, before one night before he was going to sleep, he remembered that, that one of the avoidas that he would do would be to pace back and forth in his house, pace back and forth, and, and through this be able to achieve certain very high hasogos. And that day, he said he hadn't done this. And because of this, he started getting down and depressed to the point where Mamashi felt he has no spiritual chiyas until he was able to pull himself out of it through this thought of Shaloya Sanigoi, Baruch Hashem. And Rabbi Nosanzal says, and in the story itself also, there were some differences in the way this person heard it and the way I heard it. And Rabbi Nosanzal says, from this again, you can get an idea as to what level this tzaddik was on, that just his pacing back and forth was something that, that accomplished incredible things to the point where if he felt he hadn't done this exactly right, he felt that something major was missing, where, where he couldn't give himself any chiyas other than through Shloya Sanigoi. Now, Rabbi Nezal mentions this. There's a, a short chapter in Kutimran where Rabbi Nezal says that tzaddikim, by pacing back and forth, can accomplish tchiasamesim, can bring a dead person back to life. Because if you look at the story with Elisha Novi, when Elisha Novi had given a bracha to a woman for her to have a child after a long time that she didn't have children, and then one day he was out in the field, he complained his head hurt, he passed away, and the mother went running to Elisha Novi, and she said to him, I didn't ask for this, I didn't ask you to give me a child. And, and here now he's dead, you know. And Elisha Navi goes there. And it says in the Navi that he came into the room where the child was. He closed the door. And he, he paced back and forth like this. <clears throat> and then he did a special procedure, which the Arizal 
goes into detail explaining, and he brought the child back to life. But we see that this was part of this procedure, this pacing back and forth. And Rabbein Azal mentioned that this tzaddik, that there was a tzaddik who was on a madrega, that his pacing back and forth was on this kind of a level, and he was able to fall into a depression, a deep depression, to such a point where the only thing he could give himself chiyas with was shaloya sanigoi. That, that was able to pull him out of it. You could imagine, you could imagine talking about ourselves, that a person sometimes gets down that kind of thing, even though, even though the Gemara says every single yid is packed with mitzvahs, like a pomegranate is packed with pits. But the Satan has a way sometimes of shrinking the good things in our life and magnifying the, the negative things and to pull a person down, Rahman into, into depression. And here we see Rabbi Nazar described a tzaddik of this magnitude, and even by him, this was an isoyon. It's interesting. My Rebbe Rav Rosenfeld, towards the end of his life, he lived in Brighton Beach in an apartment building, and he lived on the third floor. And there was an elderly couple. This was an old apartment building that was built <clears throat> not from wood, no wooden frames. This was serious brick. And yet there was an elderly couple that lived underneath. And after Rav Rosenfeld became very ill, I mean, he left America to go to Eretz Yisrael, we had dealings a little bit with that couple, that elderly couple on bottom. And they said, you know, in a way they're relieved that he left because every night they would hear him pacing back and forth, pacing. He didn't, where, where we lived, there wasn't any fields to go out for his voidedus. His place for his voidedus was the hallway. He had a long hallway in the apartment and he would pace back and forth. That was his, his, his place for his voidedus. Any questions? Rabbein Azal once made a comment that we have no idea how important a yid is in the eyes of Hashem. Rabbein Azal said that when a yid twirls his payah, just twirls his payah, <clears throat> there are heavenly worlds that move with him. <clears throat> the, the, the wires that are attached from every single Jew to all the different parts of creation. He wasn't talking, this isn't, we're not talking about a mitzvah. This isn't a mitzvah. This is a person just twirling his payah. And Rabbein Azal said that there are worlds, heavenly worlds that are affected by this. Paragraph Samachvov, 66, regarding again something <clears throat> that appears at the, at the end of Sipurim Maisius, after those 13 stories, where Rabbein Azal said that there are two types of palaces. In one of them lives a king, and in the other one lives a servant. And Rabbein Azal went on to say that when a person serves Hashem and they're still in the category of Eved, which is obviously a much lower level, <clears throat> then that person is still within the boundary of Oror, curse. We know there's a Pesach in the Torah by Chom, Oror, Arur, Oror Chom, Eved Avodim Yelechov. Arur, Kenan, Eved Avodim Yelechov. And, and so, and, and but Rabbi Nezal said that there is a concept of Eved in Kedusha. The Torah says about Moshe Rabbeinu, in the beginning of the, the Navi Yeshua. We know that on, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, in the Tefillah there, one of the things we say is, Im Kibonim, Im Kavodim. 
Hashem, whether we're in the status of Bonin, because the Hashem calls us Bani B'chayri Yisrael. Every year there's a, there's a member of royalty, Kol Yisrael Bani Malachim Heim. And at the same time, there's this potential of being Eved. And the Zohar Kodesh says, Im Kibonim Im Kavodim means whether we're on the level of uh, the highest levels or Chas Vishon, the lowest levels. Im Kibonim Rachmenu Karachim of Albonim. Vim Kavodim, that the Tefillah goes on to say. And then Rabbi Nezal went on to say that there is a certain mitzvah by which a person can take themselves out of the category of Eved completely. And that's the mitzvah of Pidyon Shvuyim. We know that this is mentioned in different places in the Torah, that when a Jew is taken captive by the Goyim, imprisoned by the Goyim, that kind of thing, a person who has a part take, helping that person get out of that situation is considered to be one of the highest, highest level mitzvahs. There's a story in the Zohar Kodesh about these students of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoyzal, that they once came to a house and there was a young child there and the mother said to her child, go over and get a bracha from these big rabbonim. He said, what big rabbonim? They didn't even say Kriya Shema today. I don't. His mother looked at him in horror. You're talking about the students of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoyzal. And she looked so ashamed and embarrassed and they said, he's right. We didn't say Kriya Shema because we were involved in the midst of Pidyan Shvuyim, and that had to take priority, that had to take preference. In. How this child knew is a whole other story, but, but this mitzvah of Pidyan Shvuyim is always considered to be chas no, no Jew should ever be in that position, no Jew should ever be fallen to the hands of the non-Jews in their prisons and their places, but that's considered one of the top, top mitzvahs. Now, Rav Nosenzal says, again, this, this is an important point to know when you're studying Rabbeinu Zosforim, that originally the Sefer Sichoi Soran that we have today, <clears throat> Rabbi Nachman's wisdom, was not printed as a separate Sefer. It was in back of the Sipurim Isis, and it wasn't everything that we have today. It was maybe 20, 30 paragraphs of Sichoi Soran that were printed in back of Sipurim Isis, so that in Chaim Aran and in other places, It'll mention Sichos that are after Sipurim Isis. Years later, all the Sichos were collected together and published as a separate Sefer. So here, <clears throat> again, Rav Nosenzal writes, Shaykh to the Sicha that's published at the end of Sipurim Isis, but really this is the third Sicha in Sichos Saran, where it says there, Hiflig Ma'oi Begedula Sashem Yisborach. Rabbi Nezal spoke in an incredible way about the greatness of Hashem. So Rabbi Nezal says there's things missing over there in that sicha. And this is really the way it should be, the way he's going to present it now. He says that this was actually said when Rabbi Nezal left the city of Breslov for Uman. This is a few months before, about five months or so before he passed away, when his house burned down in Breslov together with many other homes. And Rabbi Nezal then left for Uman. And Rabbi Nezal says, I was privileged to be riding with him in the wagon on this trip. And then Rabbi Nezal said, that God is great. Hashem is great. We have no idea. And Rabbi Nezal says, when he said grois, when he said that word grois, Hashem is great. He's, he said it very, very slowly, you know, implying, really, he's talking about a level of greatness that, that 
way above our imagination. And he said, There are things going on in the world we have no idea. We have no idea how each thing going on in the world has tremendous meaning and significance in, in, on spiritual levels. So Rav Nosanzal said, but didn't you say that, didn't you say recently that you were zeichet to understand the concept of tachlis hayedia asher loineida, that the, the, the epitome, the peak of knowledge is a person knowing that they don't know. So Rav Nosanzal commented and he said, since we left the city of Breslov till now, um, I, I, I've gotten to a new place of not knowing. I've gotten to a new madrega of not knowing. And Rabbi says, this was maybe 10, 15 minutes after they had left the city of Breslov. And he said, if, you, if you're familiar with the depth of Rabbi Nezal's words, to realize what we're talking about here, how he, he was changing every minute. He wasn't, he never stayed still in one place, he was going higher and higher all the time. And he said that in this short period of time from the rest of till now, I've cleared the registers completely. I don't know anything. I'm ready for a whole new shipment of, of, of Hasoga Salukus, of understanding Hashem. <clears throat> this interesting, the next Sikh is going to be talking about doctors. There's a story with Rabbeinu Sal that at one point when he was by a doctor, and they were checking his, his, his blood pressure, I believe was his blood pressure or his and they checked it. And then he told them a minute or two later, check it again. And it came up as something different, completely different. And the doctor's wondering, maybe he didn't position the instrument right. He did it a third time, came up with a different, different one. And he's wondering, he did, never saw anything like this happen before. So Rabbi Nezal said, what are, you, what are you so impressed with? Of course it changes. I'm, I'm not the same. Every, every moment, I'm, I'm becoming a new person, a brand new person. This is Hachus. This next paragraph, Samaches, Rav Nosanzal says, goes into the topic of doctors, which Rav Nosanzal elaborates on in paragraph 50 in, in Sichoi Saran. <clears throat> How Rav Nosanzal stressed to his students to keep away from doctors, stay far away from doctors. And Rabbi Nezal said, if someone has a member of the family that's sick, if somebody would come and say, I have this baseball bat, I have a big stick here. Let's give this sick person, let's whack him, give him a real, real good zets. Would the person say, okay, or would the person, or would the person go nuts, go wild? What are you, crazy? A sick person to attack him like this? Rabbi Nezal said, when a person is giving over a person that's sick to a doctor, it's like giving him over to a murderer because the, the, the medications that they're going to use are definitely going to harm the person more than a murderer. Sometimes a person, person there's a quick death and a slow death. And which person would want to do that? Which person would want to actually, with their own hands, go ahead and, and, and kill a person? And he said, just because people sometimes have a feeling, we have to do, you have to do something. There's this attitude sometimes. Can't just leave my dad. I have to, so I called it, I don't know if he's the right doctor. I don't know if he, but I felt I had to do something. 
So Rabbi Nezal said, just because you have to do something, would you call somebody to come with a, with a baseball bat, you know, and smash him over there? You wouldn't do that. So, so don't do this either. And Rabbi Nezal says, understand this well. And now on one hand, this is talking 200 years ago, when, when the medical field was a lot different than what it is today. But unfortunately, we know today that there's a lot that said <clears throat> there are times when there were doctor strikes, when the doctors went on strike for a week or 10 days. And the statistics show that much less people died during that period of 10 days when the doctors were on strike than when the doctors are operating regular. And again, unfortunately, we know that there are honest doctors. The Gemara speaks about Shmuel in the Gemara. We know the Rambam, they were tzaddikim who had tremendous knowledge of medicine and were able to help people. But unfortunately, the Gemara also says, Toiv Shabaroifim Ligehenim, that unfortunately, there are many doctors that are not willing to admit that they don't know. And, and they're willing to take chances with a person's life, Rahman al-Islam. And, and certain cases where once a person is of a certain age, they feel it's better to put the person out of their misery, Rahman al-Islam, all kinds of, of, of attitudes that, that for these reasons, Rabbi Nassar said, stay away, be very, very careful when it comes to going to doctors. We'll just continue what it says in here, and then we'll add something important. Rav Nassar says, and regarding the fact that Rav himself traveled to the city of Lemberg, which was known to be a major center of doctors at the time, there are very deep, deep secrets and hidden things related to this, that Rav intention going there wasn't for medications, but rather for other reasons that Rav had. Just like all of his trips, his trip to Kamenetz and to Novorich and Sharigrad, its places, there were very, very deep secrets related to his travels. We know that the, the Megalamukai says that the Parsha and the Torah, Eile Masei B'nei Yisroel, these are the travels of the Jews, and it lists all the different locations that the Yidden went to in the Midbar, 42 different locations. And, and the, there's the Medrash says that that was the Tikkun for Eile Elokecha Yisroel that when the Jews worshipped the golden calf, which was one of the worst sins in the history of Klal Yisrael, in order to rectify that, they had to travel to all of these different places. And it's brought that the first letters of Eile Masi B'nai Yisrael make up the first letters of Edoim, Modai, Bovel, and Yovon, the four major Goliaths that Klal Yisrael would go through, were all again a major tikkun for this pigam of Avodah So especially when we see that tzaddikim are traveling, it's not stam. There are major things going on, baruchnius, as to why they need to travel. We know that Rabbi Nezal was once told that Rabbi Levi Yitzhak Berdichev traveled, I think it was, to Moldova at that time, which was much further. He used to make trips during the year, Rabbi Levi Yitzhak Berdichev, but he heard that he made a trip going much further out than he had gone ever before. And Rabbi Nezal said, I'm giving my tefillin in to be checked. Because he said, Rabbi Levitzel is the Pe'er Hadoyer, and tefillin is called Pe'er. And the fact that this tzaddik, a tzaddik of this caliber, has to make such a journey, it means that there's something very big going on. So Rabbi Nezal, when Rabbi Nezal went to Lemberg or wherever he went, there were very, very important things going on, Baruchnius. 
as we find one example, when Rabbeinazel had returned from his trip to Novorich, where on this trip he dressed up like a, a, a regular businessman, and he didn't want anyone to know throughout that whole journey who he was. And when he came back, he said to Stamidim, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the purpose of my journey. And that's when he told one of the stories in Sipurim Isis, the story of the, the Zvuv and the Achabish, the spider and the fly, which is an incredible deep story. And Rav Zal says, we have no idea how that explains his trip. But Rav Zal said, in this story is the explanation of why I had to make this journey. So too, regarding his traveling to Lemberg. And, and Rav Zal says, uh, Rav Zal writes that once he went there, he had to be involved with doctors and with, with medicines for different reasons. But when he returned from that trip, that was when he started really speaking to his Talmudim about avoiding medicines, avoiding medications. And he said several paragraphs in Sikha Saran that are based on this. In addition, even before he traveled to Lemberg, he spoke about this. But after he returned from Lemberg, is where he really went into this at length, you know, stressing to avoid doctors. Now, people have asked me in the past, how does this apply today? And the answer is that the Zikanim in Breslov <clears throat> that I, I knew that I was privileged to know, whether it was Rebbe Yechaim Roizim, Rebbe Yitzhak Bender, Rav Rosenfeld, Reb Michal, Zikanim of Rocha, they never rushed to go to doctors. <clears throat> it was only there are certain people who the slightest thing that goes on, call a doctor, let's go to a doctor. They, they never rushed to go to doctors. If there was something important, something serious, they would consult with a doctor, they would go to a doctor, and, and very often consult, look for a second opinion also. And when a medicine was prescribed, they would check very carefully to know what the side effects of that medicine are. And in certain cases, make sure not to start with a full dose, but start with half a dose in order to test the medicine to see what's going to result. Unfortunately, you see so many cases where people go to a doctor, a medicine is prescribed, <clears throat> the, the problem gets worse or a different problem develops. They call that doctor, okay, stop that. We'll try something else. What is this? Eeny, meeny, miny, mo? Who? What do you mean? But before you told me to take this, maybe should have thought it over more carefully. Is this the only thing or is there something else that has less chance of side effects or all of these things? But, but unfortunately, sometimes people are quick to give a decision. I had a very close friend in Brooklyn who recently was playing ball and broke his, his ankle and went to a supposedly a very uh, professional doctor. And the doctor said, it's, it's not broken. It just needs a such and such and that. And he says, maybe we should take an x-ray. And the doctor looked at him like, how dare you? I, I, I said, it's not broken, you know? Sure enough, a week or 10 days later, still tremendous pain, ends up taking a picture and seeing that something was broken, you know, et cetera, and required proper attention. But this is an example sometimes of this issue, Rahman al-Islam, a certain arrogance that's, that's maybe it's because 
in order to become a doctor, a person has to go through four years of this and four years of that, an internship. And it's, it's like a club that people think once they get that title, that they're already above, above inspection, above. And, and unfortunately, it leads to mistakes with people's lives. So person needs to know. And, and again, there are people that say, my doctor said, my doctor, as if they're talking about, you know, who knows who, to be able to know that these are human beings. And again, to study carefully, to try to make sure to get references beforehand, to know you don't open the, the yellow pages and look and to see if his name starts with an L, so he must be a good doctor. But to, to try to research a little bit, to, to know if this person, if people have had experience with this person, does he care? And sometimes, unfortunately, even with the knowledge, there's this term bedside manner. There's a, a person who knows, who can say the wrong thing to a person and kill them just by making make a statement. Well, this is, this is, there's no cure for this. And, and, and it wasn't necessary to say that. If you thought it was true, it wasn't the right thing to say. And, and unfortunately, there are, there are cases where the doctor passes away before the patient. They said this patient will only have a month or two to live, and the doctor passes away before that. So, so then what? So this is why Rabbenazar wanted to make it clear. Now, there are Sforim, I believe it's the, the original Munkacharebi who writes... <clears throat> That, that the Sifrei Kabbalah speak about the difference between Emuna and Kfira, Emuna and Hashem versus Kfira, and they say that it's the difference between the letter Dalit and Reish. The Zohar HaKadosh says, you have Hashem Echod, when, when we declare Hashem is one, Hashem is number one, which means there's nothing, nothing above Hashem, there's nothing equal to Hashem, and everything is under the control of Hashem. And then you have Kel Acher, or Elohim Acherin, which are idols. The first one to today is Yom Rishon. We're going to be reading Parshas Yisroi this coming Shabbos, the Aserah Sadibros. The Aserah Sadibros begin with Anoichi Hashem Olekecha and Loyi Elohim Acherin. And the Israel Kodesh says, Kel Acher is Bigimatria Amolek. Amolek is the opposite of Hashem Echod. Amolek is Bigimatria Sofek, Sofek which is the opposite of emuna. Emuna is havadai shemoi kente losoi, that there's nothing more definite in life than Hashem, nothing more definite. And, and, the, and the opposite of that is doubt, people that doubt, they don't believe, they don't believe, this kelachel. So the Gemara speaks about this, about the difference between when you, in a Sefer Torah, you write the letter Dalit, or you write the letter Resh. The difference between a Dalit and a Rish and a Sefer Torah is a tiny, tiny little drop of ink on the top right side of the letter. If that tiny drop of ink is missing, it's a Rish. If it's there, it's a Dalit. <clears throat> so he writes, I believe it's the, the Minchas Salozer or one of the earlier that writes that during his time, the reform movement started picking up speed. And that those rabbis didn't like, they didn't like the title Rav or Rebbe. It's like an insult, a person who doesn't work, doesn't earn a living, a, a, a rabbi. So they made a new thing, rabbi doctor, rabbi doctor, or especially doctor of philosophy, Rahman al-Islam, that in some of these places, conservative reform, that's considered to be, then he's really a, a great person. And he said that this title doctor, the way you write it, is Dalid Reish, Dalid Reish, that that's this change, that's this switching over 
from the Dalit, from Hashem Echod, to Kelach Rachmon It's people who don't believe in Hashem, the, the wrong type of doctors, who don't include Hashem in their speech, that obviously everything is in Hashem's hands. I can only do what I can based on my limited knowledge and based on my limited experience. But of course, the most important thing is tefillah. The most important thing is that, that Hashem should heal the person. This difference we find by Odom Arishon, when Odom and Chava ate from, they were given one mitzvah, not even the Eitzadas, when they, when they ate from the Eitzadas, the curse that Hashem issued was the koitz vedardar tatzmiachloch. You're going to plant wheat and other things, and instead thorns and thistles are going to grow. The word dardar is dalid reish, dalid reish. That again, when a person shows emun en Hashem, there's zoichet to Hashem echod. When a person is poigem in emunah, the dalid gets switched for a reish. And note the word koitz, which means a thorn. Koitz vedardar tatzmiachloch. The word koitz, kuf tzadik vov, is 196. That's the difference between Dalit and Reish. Dalit is four. Reish is 200. The difference between four and 200 is 196. That's this Koitz. Rabbi Nezal made a statement, Mi emuna, chayim. A person who has emuna, their life is considered living. Because when good things happen, they know to, to thank Hashem. When things seem to be going not so well, they know that it's also for my good. It's also for my good. And if a person doesn't have emunah then, then their life is this you know, the opposite. Any questions? Regarding the singing of Rafua, is this to suggest that the Rebbe didn't mean it in a literal sense, or does he mean it just for his generation? Because we know, on the other hand, so many other eights of the Rebbe we say, so the Rebbe said this, this is how you're supposed to be naive. So how come by this one, it's like a great area these days. And we see that uh, they go to doctors, they take medicines for the most part. I know there are some I hear in Yerushalayim that literally do not go. So how do we straighten that out? The, as far as I know, this is not different from any other eight sois that Rabbein Azal gave. But there's a Torah Shebech and a Torah Shebaal we know that the, 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 in Perky Ophelis, it speaks about 48 ways that a person is kind of Torah. One of those 48 ways is Shimush Chachamim, seeing how this is actually practiced. We know that there were, there were among Rabbeinus, I'll tell me them, Rebavrom Sternhartz, for example, who was somebody who kept all of Rabbeinus Alzheimer's from midnight, getting up at midnight every single night, you know, for 90 years of his life, and, and mikvah and every single... By him, he refused. He didn't want to have anything to do with doctors. People on our level, let's say, where we're not necessarily so good in many other eights of Rabbeinazal, and a person wants to be machmir on this one, that Rabbeinazal has no, no doctors, so I don't have to go to a doctor, that, it seems, is a mistake. And again, we saw, we saw our gedolim, we saw our Rabbonim, that other than Rabbi Avram Shterad, that his students and lower students also, they were very cautious about going to doctors. They didn't run to doctors the way most of the world does. But when they needed to, certain times that they needed to go, that they went, you know, and 
again, with caution, without worshipping the doctor, and not everything he says is Kodesh that, that kind of thing. And if a doctor says gives a negative report, not to assume that that's the way it's going to be. There was a story with Rav Moshe Burstein, maybe two, three years before he lived to the age of 98, 98 years old, Baruch Hashem. And I think it was about two, three years before he passed away, he was in the hospital for something. I think there was a heart problem, something like that. He was in the hospital. And it was about a week before, a week or a week and a half before Rosh Hashanah. And he was on IV, dehydrated on, on IV, and he had two or three pipes in him. And at one point, he remembered that Rosh Hashanah is coming. He said, what am I doing here? Rosh Hashanah, this isn't the time for hospitals. I have to leave here. And, and everybody got terrified. He, he's, he's ready to pack up and go. You know? And they said, no, 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 yeah. No. He started pulling out, tearing out the IV from his hand like it, but nothing. And at the time, I, Hashem gave me the incredible privilege that I, there was a period of time of two, three years that, that he would learn with me every afternoon. So one of his children said to me, please come, maybe he'll listen to you. Maybe he'll So I ran down to the hospital at the time and I saw him. And I saw how agitated, and, and anyone who knows Rav Moshe Bush knows that when he made a decision to do something, no mountain in the world was, was, was any kind of obstacle for him. And I saw the situation, and I, I understood that it was real, real Sakonis Nefoshois. So I said to him, please, Rav Moshe, it's true, it's Rosh Hashanah, but if if you have to be here, as soon as you get out, we'll make a trip. We'll make a trip, whether it's Shabbos Hanukkah, as, as soon as it's possible, we're going to go again. And I saw he heard that, and that like calmed things down a little bit. And I believe, I, if I recall correctly, that Rosh Hashanah, he didn't go. But Baruch Hashem, after it wasn't, didn't wait till the next Rosh Hashanah, maybe a month afterwards, went to Uman. So I'm saying there was a, a certain level there's a certain blind faith, unfortunately, that, that a, a large part of the world puts in doctors or science. There was a discussion this Shabbos about, about the fact that uh, scientists, some scientists say that the earth revolves around the sun. All the planets are that the sun is the focal point of, of all the constellations and the earth and other planets revolve around the sun. And, and the Gemara in Psachim and the Zohar Kodesh and other place mentions a different opinion. And my Rebbe Rav Rosenfeld, when he spoke about this, spoke emphatically, very emphatically, that we don't accept what the scientists say. We believe that the earth is the focal point and, and the sun revolves around the earth. There are many people who hear this and they're flat. What are you talking about? Because, because again, the culture, the secular culture, which has crept into the, the Jewish world is, that, I mean, if scientists, there's nothing more true than, than science. I'm saying the science, they have, they, they, they prove, they can see, they can see. And we know that in reality, in reality, there are many things that the scientists have said at certain points, and then they were forced to retract. They were forced to say they made a mistake. Whether it was at one point they thought the world was flat and had to change their opinion that the world is run. Um, just many different examples. So this attitude that science or the medical field that they know, you know, Rabbeinazal, what, what Rabbeinazal said then is also true now, slightly different because of <clears throat> how much knowledge has been developed in 200 years. 
But in terms of the dangers, the risks involved, that we know, yes. And the attitude that before going to a doctor, that, 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 that what I've seen from the Breslov at Sadiqim, before going to a doctor to say it filler, and after going to the doctor saying it filler, and never giving that attitude that I'm giving over my life into his hands. You are my doctor and I trust what you say. And I never doing that. I trust what Hashem says. I, my life is in Hashem's hands only. If, if I'm Zoyche, if the doctor is Zoyche, he'll be a good shaliach, a good messenger of Hashem. But never to, there shouldn't be any, any unclarity in terms of what the doctor's importance is in my life versus Hashem and tefillah and tzedakah, tzedakah tatzel mimoves, you know, all the different things that a person really puts their trust in, their trust and faith. Today is tonight in Eretz Yisrael. It's already possibly Shkia sunset. Here in America, it's nine o'clock in the morning. This evening is going to be Rosh Hashanah Lilona. It's Tu Bishvat, which is a, a major, major, major day. We don't say Tachnun this afternoon in Yitzhashem at Mincha already. And, and the, the custom of eating fruits, if possible, fruits that come from Eretz Yisrael, but making sure that there are no questions of Orla and, and other any, any kashrus issues, making Shechionu on fruits. These are Minhag Yisrael. These are Minhagim of Kedusha, which have a very, very high place. Rav Nosanzal says, and Likut Aloha is that the Arizal said, that the majority of Gilgulim are in Peros, are in fruits, these things. So fruits are a, a very chosh of item. The fact that a person makes a separate bracha on this, the bracha shahakul doesn't cut an individual bracha, boire prio eights for these things, or boire prio adoma and melons, those things. We should be zeicha Rosh Hashanah means his hatches, a new beginning. And Ilona is the, the svarim bring kio odomates asoda, that it's, it's a very good excuse for us to make a whole new beginning, a new beginning in, in closeness to Hashem, in making brachas with kavana, <coughs> we should be zeicha that the food that we eat should only have positive benefits, no, no harmful benefits. Be zeicha to the gula shleimah, v'mher b'ameinu, amein v'ameinu.